All right. So, so here we are in December the 11th. Uh, lesson number nine on Jude. So I turned my recorder on, so hopefully those people can, whoever listens to us can, can hear us. And so go ahead and turn over to the book of Jude. And so we've been focusing on these ungodly men that we see in this. And we know that the book of Jude is a warning. And yet I think we need to realize this and we cannot put it aside. And yet we see wicked men. And yet a lot of times when you see people, the first thing you want to talk about is events going on in the world, you know, what's going on in politics. And we're like, we just shake our head and we just can't understand why do these people do this? And we have to put it in our mind. There are wicked people out there that are against everything that God is for. And because we have this idea that we look through uh, life kind of with rose-colored glasses. Well, everybody should just see the truth and the life and what we need to be. But the problem is we live in a world right now that's totally dark and totally fighting that. And so even though uh, we need to remember that, it's going to be more important to the people in the tribulation because their eternal life is going to depend upon it. So Jude number or number lesson nine. And so let's just read through this again. I know we've read through this book several times, but let's read it again. Uh, since it's only one chapter, we won't get all the way through. But Jude, verse 1, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, I really have not... I'll stop there for a second. I had to live a little bit because I just... I can't keep my mouth shut. Um, this salvation, if we really want to study it out, and I've never mentioned it before, is really not a New Testament salvation. This salvation is basically an Old Testament salvation. So just put that in the back of your mind. Okay? It says, uh, uh, verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Each one of these examples ends in destruction. Verse 8, Likewise, also these ungodly men, these filthy dreamers, they defile the flesh, they despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel... When contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, 
But what they know naturally is brute beast and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and they've run greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and they've perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Again, total destruction on every one of these. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth, whose fruit twice dead, plucked out by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness forever, or the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute, what's it say? Judgment upon all and take events all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's person in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that he told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So I'm going to stop right there. So again, we're going to wrap up these ungodly men and we're going to focus basically on Jude verses 14 through 19. So our first example here is we have Enoch. He prophesied of these wicked men. Now, now what book in the Bible do we find Enoch in? Genesis. Genesis. Okay. In fact, we see it back in Genesis chapter 5. So let's go back and look at it. Genesis chapter 5. And let's look at verse 18 through 22. Genesis 5.18 says, And Jared lived 162 years, and he begot Enoch. And Jared lived after he begot Enoch 800 years and he begot sons and daughters. So they're living a long time span at this point, okay? And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years and he died. It just occurred to me, you think he had arthritis at the end of 962 years? I don't know. Maybe he felt good. I don't know. Well, obviously their bodies age differently than we do now. Yeah. 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 900, because I don't think he could live 962 years feeling the way we do. He was probably 955 when he started feeling. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, That'd be a great question to ask. Enoch, I got a question for you. Did you ever hurt much before you died? And then when he says, no, I actually felt good all the way up to the day that God, you know, I'm like, and then we'll just smack him, right? That's another reason to just grab Adam and smack the snot out of him when we see him in heaven. I mean, do you realize the aches and pains you have given us? Okay, mm-hmm. verse 21. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and he begot who? Methuselah. Now, what's, the, what's Methuselah's name to fame in the Bible? What did he do? He's the longest living dude in the Bible's Methuselah. Okay, and Enoch was his dad. He walked with God after he begat Methuselah, 
300 years and he begat sons and daughters. Okay, verse 23, And all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years. Verse 24, And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Apparently, he had such a good relationship with God that God says, you know what? I'm not even going to let you get aches and pains. I'm not even going to let you die. I'm just bringing you up now. Hallelujah. Now you want to take Enoch and slap him around when you meet him. No, I mean, hey, uh, apparently he, he walked with God and God had a relationship with him. But you know what? Did it say anything in there? Now, this is all I can really find about Enoch in the Bible. He's not like Balaam when you start, you know, studying it out and comparing scripture and you see him in Revelation, you see him in the book of Jude, you see him everywhere. You see him in, in Jude and you see him here and outside of that, I don't think you see him much. But anyway, did, did you guys pick up on that where he talked about Christ coming with 10,000 of saints? Did you pick that up in Genesis? What I just read? Didn't say anything about Christ coming and with 10,000 of his saints like it did back in Jude. But let's go back in Jude and, and look at it for, again, just to remind ourselves. Jude says, verse 14, And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. Where did he get that from? Okay, you're jumping ahead of me. but Okay, so let me... You have a blank. It's Your first blank says, Enoch lived blank years before the flood of Noah. 600 years before Noah. Enoch was there. And then your second blank is, he lived 3,000 years before the birth of Christ. And so if that's true, the next blank is, Enoch lived so many, a blank, Years before the second coming, so you know you guys do the math. So what? How many years is that? How many years has it been since since Christ to today? Well, from Christ till today, two thousand, two thousand, you know, roughly um, two thousand. We would basically say two thousand twenty-two, but the calendar has been messed up by somebody. I wonder who would mess that up. But anyway, so 2,000 plus the 3,000, now we're 5,000 years. How did Enoch know? And, and, and it doesn't say anything in the Bible that he pro- except in Jude that he mentions this, but how does he even know? Carrie and I watched a movie on Roku, and here I am talking about movies again. That's all I do, people. I go home and I watch movies. I don't have a job. I don't do anything but watch movies 24-7. You don't do Bibles. Yeah, I don't do nothing. I just watch movies. We watched a, a movie on Roku about a week ago about this guy that grew up in a Christian home and... He was, he, he was a movie, he produced movies, if I remember right, or he worked on movies, now I don't know what kind of movies, but it, he set about to find out if Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, which he did, could he prove that historically? Was that even possible that he could have done that? And I, I mean, 
we look at it like, well, number one, the Bible says that he wrote it. So he goes back and he goes to Egypt and he goes through all these places and he has, he has his documentary movie and he goes, I'm, number one, I want to find out, was there a language when, when even available when Moses supposed to have wrote down the first five books? Well, yeah, I mean, we, they proved that. And he goes, was there a written language? At the time, and all the, and, and then he would go to two camps. He would go to this camp of religious uh, professors, and they would go, "No, there wasn't any written language at that time." And now, a few years, you know, uh, nine hundred years after that, there was written language. So he goes over and he starts working through all this, and, and he came to the point yet. Yes, they have found discoveries where there was language and it would have been in the same time period with Moses. So that is a distinct possibility. So archaeological, what do I want to say? I mess up every time I say archaeologists. They can prove that there was written language at the time of the Exodus with Moses. And then they're like, okay, so what language was that? And then they go back and they look at all the hieroglyphics that the Egyptians had. But then they also found a, a language, and it was from, uh, what do I want to call it? Uh, it was a Semitic language. Uh, well, they kind of based it with the Phoenicians, and they kind of grouped it together, but in the middle of the group was the, was the Jews, was the Hebrews. And so they didn't really come down and say that it was the Hebrew language. They're just saying, yes, there was a Semitic language that would include the Hebrews and the rest of these surrounding nations at the same time, and they've proven that also. And so they go through this big, long thing about, did, did Moses really write? Is it? Can you prove that historically? And, and the answer is yes. And then we're sitting there and Carrie and I are looking at this and we're like, well, it's a no-brainer. What do you think the first language was? I don't think it was the Egyptian. I don't think that it was the Phoenician. It has to be Hebrew because God dealt with His people. And they did come to the conclusion in this in this documentary movie was that whoever invented the language had to have an IQ that was out of this world. That it had to be a very intelligent person that would even be able to develop a language. So, what does that tell us? It's right back from God again. So, my my whole point is, that's how people look at our Bibles. Like, well, is that... Can you prove these things out? And if you study it out, you'll find out the reason. So Enoch, it would be the same thing. A lot of people today go, well, wait wait a minute, Enoch, where did he get the information about Christ coming back with his saints? It must have come from the book of Enoch. Anybody heard about the book of Enoch? Another false book. No. So, uh, Enoch... Let me give you a little info on him. Not a whole lot. Enoch is the eighth Old Testament reference in the book of Jude. You have, now stop and think about it. The first Old Testament reference was to the group of people that disbelieved Moses in the Exodus. Okay? Then you got the angels that left their first estate in Genesis 6. Then you got those people in Sodom and Gomorrah. We've already seen these. 
Then you've got Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Every one of these are Old Testament examples. And then you got a good example from Michael, the archangel contending with the devil. And then you've got Enoch on the scene here in the book of Jude. He is the eight, every one of these, including Michael, when he disputes with the devil about Moses' body was Old Testament. And then you got Enoch, again, Old Testament. So again, this book has a Jewish slant written to Jewish people particularly because guess what? They know the Old Testament. Okay? Old Testament. Enoch is the eighth reference. Every illustration in the book of Jude is Old Testament. Every one of them. And that's why God put it right before Revelation because it is specifically a tribulation book. It's written to the Jews, just like James. Everything after the uh, Hebrews starts going back to the Jews because God is getting ready to take us out of here and then the whole focus will be the Jews during the tribulation. And this whole book of, of, of Jude, if you don't get anything out of this whole study, is that this book is written to give those Jews in the tribulation a warning what to look out for and what they need to do. Okay, so I know I've probably said that a hundred times going through the study, but today may be the last one. So, number two. So, Enoch prophesied of these ungodly men's judgment at the second coming. Because that's really what he's talking about. But you know what? That's not, that's not um, unheard of in the Bible. That's not the only place you see the second coming in the Bible. Right? So, I mean, let's go back and look at Jude again. What does he say specifically? What are the words? I'm like, is, I'm like, who is that? That me? <laughs> okay. God's calling. Okay, Jude. Now let's go back and see what it says here. Jude 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these saying. What's his prophecy? Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I have a question. Yes. Okay, in verse 14 where it says ten thousands with plural. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean just 10,000, correct? No, that means tens of thousands. Let me give you the, the technical correct term. Gobs of people. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, now, in that list, and I haven't really, I'll just throw this in for free today. In that list, when it says saints, that's Christians. That are, that are Christians. That are, that is Old Testament, Saints, that is New Testament saints, and in that group you're going to have angels too. Okay, I need to roll on because I got a bunch of right reading that here. Means but all of us. that means all of us. Yeah. Yes. I got laughed at for saying that at another church. Well, I, oh yeah, I was. That you were saying you're off your rocker. Okay, so. Brother, that when I told him that he forgives us past, present, and future sin? Oh, he doesn't know what we're even going to do. Really? Yeah. Well, let's look at this. <laughs> so, so Enoch prophesied of these only God's men's judgment, the second coming, how long ago did we say? 5,000 plus years ago. And he got it from God, so we already know that. Uh, that's my next blank. But anyway, but here's the deal. That's nothing 
That's not unheard of in the Bible because what is the theme? Well, let's go through my list. So did Moses. Okay. Um, in fact, let's go there and look at it. Let's look at Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 33, 1 through 3. Let's see what he has to say about this. Chapter 33, verses 1 through 3 of Deuteronomy. And this is a song of Moses, actually. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands, there's your ass on there again, of saints from his right hand went a fiery law for them. So Moses talked about this, okay, in Deuteronomy. Now let me tell you, that uh, there is a specific path that the Lord will take when He comes back with us. And we're going to be starting in Egypt and we're going to follow that same route that they did with the Exodus all the way back. And it says right here, it says, um, He came from Sinai and rose up from Seir, Mount Seir and he shined forth from Mount Paran, and it just tells the, the route that he came. So th- that's another thing you can study out in the Bible. You can study this route out that, that we're going to be taking with Christ. And in the Minor Prophets, you'll find out that everything in front of us when we're going is green, and everything behind us is burnt to a crisp. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know where America is at that point, to be honest with you, but we're going to be from Egypt going into the promised land and we're going to be with Christ and we're going to be on our horse, however that is. I don't know exactly how that works out, but we're going to be on this horse and everything before us is green and everything behind us is burnt to a crisp. I don't think it is. So Moses talked about this in Deuteronomy. So did Zechariah in Zechariah 14, 1 through 9. Let's go look at that. That'll take us. I should have marked that in my Bible. Zechariah chapter 14. Okay, now Zechariah is right before Malachi for those of you. Uh, that's the one thing in the Bible I just... I What's that? It's right before Malachi. I'm sorry. I think David and I... Was he with me? We're in the, we're in the detention center and, and uh, there's a kid and he goes, what's this book Malachi about? I think I looked at David and I'm like, Malachi, Malachi. Uh, oh, Malachi. Okay, yeah. We never forget that one. Uh I'll forget everything else, but I won't forget that. So, Zechariah 14, 1 through 9. Behold, the day cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses uh, rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great 
valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach into Azale. Yea, ye shall flee like he fled from before the earthquake of the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Again, second coming. Verse 6, And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light, and it shall be in that day that living water shall go from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea, hinder sea and in the summer and the winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, and there be one Lord and His name one. Again, another reference to the second coming with His saints. But you know what? It's not just Old Testament prophecy. All through the Old Testament, the main theme is what? The kingdom. It's, it's, it's Christ coming back to take over His kingdom. It's all over the place. I mean, it literally is in every book. So, you go, well, that's Old Testament. What about New Testament? Well, let's see what Christ said in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Jesus talked about His second coming all the time. In Matthew 25, we're going to look at verses 31 through 33. Matthew 25, starting in verses 31. And when the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Okay? Let's go with 34. Then shall... The king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, turn over to Mark chapter 8. And we'll look at verse 38. These these should be in your handout too, the references. Mark 8, 38 says... Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So on the New Testament side, he keeps talking about angels, but we know we're there with them also. But you know what? So did Paul in Second Thessalonians. He talked about the second coming. Okay? And then so did John. And let's skip over Paul, but you can go home and that's your reference for that. Second Thessalonians. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go there. We're on the way there anyway. Because we're heading over to Revelation. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 7 and 8. It says, if I'm right one, for the Mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Again, another coming reference to Jesus Christ. And he's actually making the statement. So, I'll turn over to Revelation 19. So now we have John 
talking about it or, or prophesying about it in Revelation. So we've had Moses, Zechariah. You can put all the Old Testament prophets, uh, prophets from the major to the minor. You can put Jesus. You can, you can put Paul. You can put everybody in our Bible has prophesied about God's judgment, just not Enoch. Okay, so when the when the scholars make a big deal about Enoch, how in the world could Enoch do this? That wasn't possible. He couldn't have done this. He couldn't have known this. What about all the rest of them? <laughs> okay, are you forgetting everybody else in the Bible? Then basically, if you say Enoch couldn't have known this and he couldn't have come up with this, then nobody else could have either. Yeah, it'll just blow everything out of the water. Revelation nineteen, verse eleven. I actually like these verses here. Um, let's go back to verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have... Now catch this. The fe- and he says, And of thy brethren, which would include all the Old Testament saints, all the prophets, everyone before, says, uh, And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, you can you can go wild if you study all that out. Verse 11, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven, and again, were part of that, so we are Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, angels, and I would even imagine there's probably some tribulation saints in this. Uh, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Okay, so let, well, let's read 16. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, not only did Enoch prophesy of, sec- of, of Christ's second coming, so did every other prophet in the Bible. Okay? Um, Enoch received his information from, who did he receive it from, Diane? From God. Is that not good enough? That's good enough for me. Now, I know you have these skeptics out here that want to prove it, like the guy that wanted to prove, is it possible that that Moses could have wrote the five books? And basically, he had some scholars that said, no, it couldn't have happened. Then he had some other scholars that said, yeah, it did. The proof is there. You just got to look at it. And... Uh, he goes a lot of, and then one of his, one of these professors told him, he says, you have to realize that there are some professors that study these things out that they get in a camp where they basically set their, themselves up above everybody else. But he goes, you can't just go with them. You've got, you've got to do your facts. You've got to dig into, to certain people. And there was one lady that was actually Jewish that he was going to and asking him information about Moses. And she just, and here's what she kept, what she do, Carrie? Do you remember what she did? She only believed what her teacher above her told her. It was so interesting because it was exactly, this, this lady was a professor. 
in in Israel today. And she was every time he would ask her a question about about Moses and the writing of that, she would always refer back to what she was taught. Well, Professor so and so. And it was always Professor so and so. Professor so and so. And so no, this could not have happened because Professor so and so. And I'm like that's what a lot of people do. They, they they put somebody up here and they just follow what they say instead of looking at the facts. Wasn't it Lee Strobel that yes. was um, looking while well, the book is Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus was the name of the book that Rex read, but was it him that his wife was saved and he was trying to prove her wrong? Yeah. Or something like that. Lee Strobel was... The Case for Christ. Yeah, the, yeah, you can go to the Case for Christ. There's several books in our library. Uh-huh. And so he was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, I believe. Uh-huh. And his wife gets saved, so he goes about to prove that Christ is false. Uh-huh. And the more he dug into it, the more he realized. And he went back, it was true, and he went back to his editor, and I, I'm... Um, go read the book. Watch the movie. I mean, I've got the movie about it. And he goes back to his editor and says, I'm digging all this out and it is depressing me of what I'm finding. And I don't know what to do. And his editor told him, follow the facts. Mm-hmm. And he was a lost man. And he still told him, you're doing a story, you follow... Now, that's not what they do today. It's like you just make up what you want. But this guy told him, you have to follow the facts. Even if you don't like them, follow the facts. Well, he did, and he gets saved. And that's what that professor needs to do instead of referring back to professor. Right. Follow the facts. And so, yeah, you get these egg-headed professors and they make a name of themselves, and yet... Everybody else, you got some that want to follow him and be a groupie, but then they're all going, well, yeah, the, the top five leading sci- uh, professors in this area all believe this. Nobody believes that. And the guy in this movie we watched, he proved that wrong too because the other guys goes, not all of them think that. And it's really Lee Strobel in that movie. Yeah. He does. He's basically the same thing. About the same one. It's it really is. him talking. Mm-hmm. Follow mm-hmm. the facts. Check the facts. And that's what we got to do, okay? So, um, where are we at? So he, he got his information from God. But guess what? Moses got his info, well, uh, Moses got his information from God, right? Didn't he go up and meet with God on Mount Sinai? But you know what? Moses talked with God, but on the flip side of that, Cain talked with God too, didn't he? How about Balaam? He talked with God. So it's what you do with what God tells you. Okay. Um, the people in the wilderness in the Exodus, they saw God. They saw the miracles they did. They saw the, t- the 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 wall of fire. They saw. They even saw heard God talk to Moses. And yet, disbelieved. Okay. So number three, Enoch's judgment in is Christ's judgment. So what he's revealing in Jude is really Christ's judgment on the ungodly living in the tribulation. It is to convince the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed. It has to do with their... What do you think goes in your blank there? 
No. Has to do with their what? You haven't hit it yet. Disobedience. Disobedience would be good. But it's what is disobedience? When you're disobedient to God, it is a... Action. Action. Action's what I'm looking for. It has to do with their actions. Okay? Their ungodly deeds, of which they have ungodly committed, has to do with their actions. And, and then you have another blank. It says, it is to convince the ungodly of all their hard speeches against God has to do with their what? Their hard speeches, it has to do with their words. So, you want to watch these ungodly men? Look at what they do and look at what they say. Do they walk the talk? That's why when you're flipping through the channel late night and you can't sleep and you're in between movies like me and you see some guy on there and he's preaching this prosperity message and you're sitting there and you're like, and you're like, well, let's, let's see what he, you know what, I don't even have to listen to him. I can almost spot him by seeing them. And I have told you guys this story about being at the City Union Mission with Pat and I and we're talking to this guy. He goes, see that man walking down the street? He goes, he goes he's not saved. And this is coming from a guy we thought was saved. A guy that was at the City Union Mission we'd been working with. He goes, see that guy walking down the street? He's not saved. And we're like, uh, how do you know that? He goes, I can tell the shape of his head. <laughs> Pat and I are like, is this guy off his rocker? I mean, is he serious or is he jacked with us? You know? But I mean, you can, when you just see somebody anymore, I mean, bells go off in my head. And I mean, but to, that is discernment, but to be honest, you've got to listen to what they say and you've got to listen to what they do or watch what they do. If they walk the talk, then you pretty well know, hey, this guy's legit. But anymore, it's like, I think the Lord gives us discernment, and He, and we need to know that as, as Christians, not just you ladies having discernment, because there are times when God gives you ladies things for your protection, that He doesn't give the man. When and he, so you have- When God gives you that discernment, you're seeing that guy, so that discernment is, could be, don't mess with him yet, or I want you to talk to him. Don't you think? Yeah, it could be both both ways, but and God will give you that. Right. He'll give you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so we need to watch their words and their actions. So number four, Jude is not done describing these evil men. In verse sixteen, he continues with his description of these filthy men when he calls them murmurers, complainers, and oh man, I don't know about you, but I I wonder if I would have been out in the in the wilderness in the Exodus with Moses. Would I have been one of those guys complaining and griping? I mean, would I have been saying, God, you know, I'm getting sick of eating these quails. We've had them for the last... We think turkey at Thanksgiving is bad after two days. <laughs> well, what about 40 years wandering around in the desert eating nothing but but quail and, and manna? And Carrie goes, told me this morning, well, she goes, manna wouldn't be so bad. At least you wouldn't have to cook it. <laughs> I go, well, you have to cook the quail still. But would we be complaining? I, I, I don't know. Probably. I'd say we probably would be. Because all men are sinful. Uh, uh, and so, so, but, I, but it makes me realize too, I need to watch what I say and complain and murmur. I should not do that. Uh, lustful, mouthy. These people are mouthy. Now, you can be called mouthy in a good way and mouthy in a bad way. Uh, 
But these guys run their mouth, let's put it that way. We all know people that run their mouth that they should, they just need to keep quiet. But these guys run their mouth. And they're having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Now, I've been trying to wrap my head around this to try to figure this out. Having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so you have people admire you because you have something over them? I don't know. Maybe you guys have a little different definition than I got. I, I, I'm kind of thinking it's kind of like... And then on the flip side of that is, is you know... I, I don't know how to say... How to pull my tape off, but but it's, it's like uh, kissing somebody in a certain location because you want something from them. Mm-hmm. Is that too rough for you? Mm-mm. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know the expression. Kind of goes back and forth. But these evil men have things over people and they know it. And they they do it for admonition. They do it for power. They do it for, their, for uh, whatever reason. So let me try to wrap this up. Number five on the back page. It says, Jude again reminds us that we are told of these wicked men that they would be present. We are to take extreme notice of what these godly men have foreseen. So we are to listen to their words. So we're, we're watching the words of the wicked or the ungodly, but we need to listen to the words of the godly because that's what uh, Jude is saying. That's what Enoch is saying. We are further reminded that these ungodly men will separate themselves by being sensual. Now, I talked about that real early in our, our lessons here. What does sensual mean? Well, it's, it means basically being controlled by your senses, fleshly. And and not just I mean we're all controlled by our senses, but these people are like addicted to it. They are addicted to it. They can't help themselves. They are they are controlled by their flesh, and they are controlled by the the evil nature that they attain to. Okay. So flesh goes in your blank. So turn over to James three fifteen. I got to wrap things up because it's. You know, if I have things I run over, we can always do it at the party today. No, we're not going to. We're going to close here with James 3.15. It says, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, there's our word, sensual, devilish. So that kind of gives us a little more idea what sensual means. It's it's devilish. It's it's sinful. It's a sinful, evil uh, mindset, and that's what controls these guys. It's, it's the flesh when it comes right down to it. So it says here at the end, it says the book of Jude is a warning targeting the people in the tribulation to fight to keep their salvation. There is more at stake than their physical lives and they must contend for their eternal life. For us in the church age, even though we have eternal life, we must contend to stay serving the Lord and not serving ourselves. Because the number one problem that Christians have is to live for us instead of living for Christ. Every one of us battle that. And it's hard not to get sucked into that. It's not, 
I mean, we all work. We have, we have family. We have things going on here. We got a home. We, we got all these things bombarding us. And yet we need to focus. What does God really want me to do? Yes, we got to have, we got to have a job. We got to do this. We got, we got to cook to have dinner. We have all these things going on, but we need to focus on serving God. Uh, so at the beginning, some people in the tribulation will stick with their beliefs and convictions, and some will choose to do otherwise. I'm so glad I'm not going to be here. Yes. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine watching your family? Yeah. Well, that's why you try so hard to and lead hard your family and friends to Christ, because you know what's coming. Those are the hardest you don't want ones. that for them. And they're the hardest ones. Right. Yes. So we've we've got to we've got to walk. The talk, mm-hmm. so we can be that influence to the people you know, around us. Um, some family members don't recognize your change. Right. They don't recognize. You have to realize you're not gonna save them all. And some people do, and yet turn a blind eye to it. Right. I, I've seen I it. I, I, I have. I've seen Christians do that. I've seen Christians go. Well, I, I've seen couples do that. Where on both sides. Well, I've seen a change in my spouse, and it's wonderful, and then it's next thing you know, it's like they just, they're gone, they split, they're gone. And, and then I see other people, it's like, I saw a change in my spouse, and it's like, I don't know what it is, but I want it. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming. So I've, I've had friends on both sides of that spectrum, where they split, and the other ones that, that pulled closer. Mm-hmm. And that's just our, our free will. That's just us. That's why in the millennium there's going to people see Christ on on the throne. They're going to see His kingdom. They're going to see us at work. They're going to see everything. And at the end of the millennium they're going to revolt. And it's like, how could you do that? How can you do that? Same way with Cain. How could you do it, God? I mean, how could Cain go against what God told him? I mean, he's talking to him. Just get the right sacrifice, dude. Go get it. Do it. And everything's cool. And Cain's like, I'm not going to. Either it's it's up to us. It's up to the individual. Choose Christ. Choose life, or you choose death. And some people will choose death just because they don't want anybody telling them what to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You remember, right. That, right. You remember that movie I Am Legend? Yeah. I remember. Smith yes. Living in New York. Yes. And, and there's nobody there. And there's no zombies. Right. At the end, he's figured out the cure to help the zombies. Was him. No, it was no. in the blood. It was in the blood. Yeah. Oh, it's like half the movies. They developed a serum and he's talking okay. to them. Right. They're separated from But But what happened? They didn't want it? Well, yeah, he offers it to them. I've got the cure, I've got the cure. You know? They didn't want it. They didn't no. want it. They wanted to kill him. It always reminded me of that. Wow. Yeah, it's, 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 it's wild. They found it and he's showing it to them through the glass and they just wanted him dead. Well, it's the same, same thing in the Maze Runner. Same thing with all these movies. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting how they have the same elements. It's in the blood. It's in the blood here. You got bad blood. In fact, every person dies in this world physically because they have a blood problem. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you get hit by a Mack truck or you have a cut on your arm. You have a a virus or a disease, it's always a blood issue. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. something wrong with our blood. Well, just okay. like this, this disease this pastor has, it says that the first important treatment is IV, uh, like antibodies or something, because your cells start producing bad cells. Right. And so the first thing is 
that IV treatment of something yeah. through the blood. So you have people with cancer and they've done everything they can for them. At the very end, they may, they may give them a blood fusion and they'll feel fantastic for about a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I've seen that happen because it's in the blood. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for, uh, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the book of Jude that it warns us of what to not be, uh, a part of and, and what to stay away from, Lord. So I pray that, that we, we realize uh, that there are evil men, there are evil people in this world, Lord, and, and that Satan wants to destroy us. But at the same time, Lord, help us to focus on on you and the fact that you've given us life and that because of that we can share that that message to other people where they can have life. So I pray that we would be all about that and not, not uh, naive with the things going on around us, but help us to stay focused on what you want us to do, what you want us to say. And Lord, help us... Uh, uh, to uh, just uh, continue to be a witness to the people around us that we care about and we love. And Lord, uh, I just uh, thank you for uh, all the blessings you give us, all the things you've promised us. And Lord, we can't wait to see you face to face. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You have a blood transfusion. Wait. Are they Christians? <laughs> <laughs> no.